from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Rob Cunnivere, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. So I'm really excited about today's guest. We have Jeff Cavins. He's joining me via Zoom. He's the co-founder and CEO of Outdoorsy. It's the world's largest and fastest growing peer-to-peer RV rental platform. He's also been CEO of two publicly traded companies, and I suspect Outdoorsy will be the third. And of note, he designed and developed the instant replay system that's in use today at the NFL, uh, which I'm sure he'll tell us more about later. But Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. So Jeff, for people that aren't familiar with Outdoorsy, why don't we start there? What What is Outdoorsy? But, well, as you said, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a networked marketplace uh, for recreational vehicle owners to list their vehicles. And they can range from RVs to camper vans to, in some cases, not even RV type vehicles at all, um, where there's r- roughly 54 million of these things sitting in people's driveways and backyards. So we created a marketplace for these owners to monetize these assets um, that set idle 97% of the year on average to the more than 1 billion people around the world that search on Google every year for an RV to rent. And whether that's a trip to the Grand Canyon or the Glacier or to Portugal or the Cinque Terre or the Gold Coast of Australia, there's a billion people every year that want to rent one of these things. And there's 54 million of these sitting in people's driveways and backyards. And we thought this is just an opportune uh, moment for a marketplace. And uh, so that's what Outdoorsy is. Outdoorsy connects the owners and give them potentially life-changing financial benefits to the renters who can then build memorable travel experiences for themselves and their families. Yeah, well, um, when I when I look at something like this, I think we we all think a lot about the romantic um, travel around the country. And as I understand it, you actually got into an airstream and spent seven and a half months driving around the country and interviewing people. Is that true? That is. We uh, so we came up with the idea. My my partner Jen Young and I uh, co-founded the company with two software developers. And um, the challenge was I'd spent most of my career in tech, well, all of my career in tech and usually living in large cities like LA, San Francisco and Seattle. Jen um, was a senior partner at J. Walter Thompson and it helped to build Ogilvy Australia, Martin Sorrell from WPP Group, brought her to London to help build up J. Walter Thompson. Then he relocated her to New York where she lived in Manhattan for many years, developing uh, RMG Connect and Wonderman, which are also ad agencies. So the problem that Jen and I had was, um, we spent so much time in these big cities that while we had this idea for the marketplace, no one that we knew was gonna be able to help us um, because of, of our, our relationships and, and our network of people. So Jen came up with the idea. She said, why don't we do this? Why don't we buy an RV and travel America? And what started is that the, the nugget of an idea ended up with us selling everything we owned. We sold our homes. Holy we, sold all cow. Our pers- we sold our personal belongings. We sold our cars. We sold our, everything we owned. We went down into a, uh, a 10 by 10 storage locker, which was really family mementos, you know, like photo albums and things like that. We sold the clothes off of our back. And she came up the, 
I went to her house and she had all of her, her uh, cutlery and her, like her mixer and blender and, and pots and pans on the front lawn. And she was using a Facebook marketplace. And she goes, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And I did the same so you thing. You really went all in on doing this. That's pretty wild. We went all in. It was fascinating because there's a whole other story about this, which is we ended up owning nothing but the clothes and a duffel bag. We bought an Airstream. We bought a truck, a GMC Denali, and we crisscrossed America seven days a week for seven and a half months. But not once did we ever stay in an Airbnb or a hotel. Because Jen had branded the, um, she did this big screening uh, outdoorsy logo on both sides of the Airstream. And I said, well, wait a minute, Jen, we're never going to be able to stop at a Sheraton or a Hampton Inn or anything like that. She goes, that's right. You're living in this thing full time because it wouldn't be authentic. <laughs> wouldn't be authentic if this thing was seen in Instagram five years later, sitting in a Sheraton parking lot. So we did it and we traveled the country. We conducted 1200 uh, recorded interviews with people around the country. And I, we came back excited after seven and a half months. And I came back and told investors and friends, I said, guys, we've uncovered a multi-billion dollar industry that's been hidden before our very eyes. And there was a- So you went and did this a, before you actually started the company. So you had had the idea for the company, but you actually went and did a lot of this use of research before you got started? Yeah, it was the, we started the company. It was just, a, it was actually five of us. So there were five founders and um, Jen and I were the ones that went out on the road. And then Ryan Quinn, one of the other mm -hmm. founders, he and his wife sold their home in Colorado and they lived Her in too. their camper van for a year and a half. He was writing code on the little kitchen table while his wife drove around the country. And uh, they did it for a year and a half. So much longer than Jen and me, but we started the company. We realized this was very difficult to build a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace uh, because we didn't have the density of cities to work in. We had the, the, the span of, you know, the, you know, millions of meters of road that we had to go cover. Um, and we learned, you know, we met with Bill Gurley and we had, you know, he'd asked, what is outdoorsy? I said, it's a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace for RVs. And he said, you know, peer-to-peer is BS, right? And I, and I'm, I'm going to fund the company myself. And we, we had the ability because we sold everything we owned. So we had cash. And I said, what do you mean it's BS? And he said, it's a media story. He goes, you have to go after the pros. You have to professionalize. So he gave me the, the corollary of how eBay is run by power sellers and Airbnb property management companies and so on. And um, we said, well, gee, we don't know any of these pros. And the only way to meet them and learn them was to get in a vehicle and travel the country. And we met thousands of people. Um, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. People don't know this, but some of our first listers were from the Navajo Nation out in New Mexico, or I guess Navajo Nation is not New Mexico, but we were traveling and um, I met, we met a Navajo Indian chief at a coffee shop and we interviewed him. And uh, he said, you know, there, there's not a lot of economic opportunity here at the reservation, but uh, virtually all of the tribal members own some form of a camper. And then we were on the news in Albuquerque. I think it was in, in I can't remember what network it was, but I think it was Channel 5 in Albuquerque. And then some of the first listers were Navajo Indians listing travel trailers on the site. And that's how we were doing it. We were traveling, going from town to town to town and meeting people. And we were getting news coverage. So the news crews would come out and interview Jen and me at the Airstream. And then that was how some of the first listings arrived on the site. <laughs> Well, this is the media that, that it sounds like Bill Gurley was talking about as well, it was find the pros, yeah. but also getting the stories, getting the media. So one thing I want to ask about is people always think about dog people. So 
the people that get pugs might be different than people that get golden retrievers. And how did you end up picking to get a travel trailer and an Airstream in particular? And then one of your co-founders decided to go down the camper van route. Like, wh- why did you go with the trailer? You know what it was? Uh, candidly, the, 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 we had looked at a variety of different RVs. And I wanted to be able to park the, the camper, or in this case, the Airstream. We, we said, we need, to, we need to be able to park our living quarters, if you will, and have a stationary place to operate out of. And then we would have a vehicle that we could drive within three to four hour distance from our, our, our mobile lodging. So we decided, well, we could get a class A and tow a little car behind it, or we could get an Airstream and then have a truck and then just disconnect the truck and drive around and meet people. So we would do that. We'd park the Airstream at a campsite for a week at a time. Like say we'd be in Santa Fe or Taos, New Mexico, and we'd park there and then we'd unhitch the truck and then we'd drive around through Southern Colorado, uh, West Texas and places like that and do field work. So we wanted to have the separation of the of a driving vehicle to our, our lodging. So that made sense for us. Jen loved the Eddie Bauer edition of the Airstream because the whole back of the Airstream opened up like a garage. And Oh yeah, you've got a great op- picture of it online. Yeah, it's really yeah. nice. It's like having a porch, like eating on a porch when you can do that. Yeah, and that sold her because we, uh, we would go to the beaches in California and we'd back the vehicle up to the ocean and open the door and we would work there. And what's funny about having sold everything we owned, we didn't have any bills to pay. Like you know, typically on Saturday, you sit down and you know you pay your bills online and you know go through the big stack of all the stuff, your insurance. Your home. <laughs> I only, right, right. We only had one bill to pay and that was the, our Verizon bill because it was our cell phone and our 4G hotspot that we needed for working. We had no bills to pay. It was a, and Jen's Canadian, so her medical comes through the country. And I operated actually without medical coverage for a year because um, I, w- I, w- I wasn't eligible for COBRA. I can't remember why, but anyway, well, I, it was a bit risky thing, and scary. One thing I'm curious about, like all these practical pieces that you're talking about are interesting. I mean, we all think about simplicity, but you really lived the simplicity dream that people have. But 1,200 interviews over seven months, that's a lot of interviews. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think people talk about doing hundreds of interviews, but 1,200 interviews... How yeah. did you find these people and how did you manage all the, the data that came out of that? Well, for one, we would, every night I would get on Craigslist and I would go to Craigslist everywhere, like Craigslist, Vermont, Craigslist, Michigan, Kentucky, all that. And I would call people and then um, I would sit on, on the phone and have phone conversations because there, there was a marketplace for this asset class that was vibrant on Craigslist. Oh, but, so they, these would be people that would be listing their RVs just on Craigslist. So you, they were the people that you knew by definition were interested in a product to help them get distribution. That, well, that, and there was a, there was a, an undiscussed problem in the, in the business. So we learned it along the way. So we start meeting with uh, listers. We made them on Craigslist. We would start uh, in campgrounds. We would hold little meetups. So Jim would pass flyers around in the campground saying, hey, we want to have a meetup at the at the community center at a KOA or something like that. And people would come in and we would interview people. So this time you could get like 10 or 12 people at a time and we would buy pizza and maybe bring beer in, you know, potato chips and things like that. And we would do interviews. And um, we learned that there was a there was a relatively strong rental market happening out there, but it was offline people didn't talk about it a lot because it was an illicit activity in terms of insurance. 
This asset oh, class. Yeah. This asset, yeah. The asset class has a real strange insurance classification around it where uh, the insurance policies for recreational vehicles, and this includes things like dune buggies, dirt bikes, ATVs, jet skis, snowmobiles, watercraft. Um, recreational vehicles have a unique VIN and the VIN tells the insurance company to put a clause in the insurance policy. And we call it the thou shalt not rent clause, but it's called commercial exclusion. And the RV, when it was being developed, the insurance industry didn't know what to make of it. They didn't know if it was a, a house or a car or a truck. So they gave it this distinction of RV, which for the insurance industry means a toy. And the insurance industry put the RV and the other bucket, the bucket where all the other recreational vehicles set, like the, you know, the jet skis and the dune buggies and the snowmobiles and the dirt bikes, where people go to break their bones and break their collarbones, people get killed. So it got this very, it got this, it was almost like this crazy administrative mistake that was made 25 years ago, where the RV gets this distinction as a very dangerous asset. And as such, commercial insurance is extremely difficult to, to get for these things. And if you think about it, like you could go to Palm Springs and rent ATVs to zip around in the dunes, right? Or you could go rent jet skis in Florida. But there's a difference. The recreational vehicles travel across America highways. And every state in the United States has a state legislature. And the state legislature has an insurance commission that reports to it. And the state legislature says, okay, insurance commission, these are our roads, our highways, our streets. Everyone must be safe. Everyone must be protected. And therefore, insurance laws must be adhered to. And then here comes the RV that may travel from California to Nevada, to Arizona, New Mexico, and so on across many states. And in a couple of states, it's not a problem, but it could cross two states where the activity of commercialization is actually illegal. It's a violation of the state legislature, of the laws set by the legislature. You know, as you know, Turo ran into this problem in New York. So we yeah. realized... We realized that's the reason a marketplace had never been created. But what was interesting is we're meeting with pros. So we'd, you know, we'd go down these back roads of America, towns that most of the people haven't even heard of. And we'd see a, a, a bulletin board on the side of a road. It would say, you know, RV rental next exit. So we'd exit and we'd show up over this, basically this big football field acreage of land littered with RVs. And some of these are, you know, Airstreams, Mercedes, a beautiful product. And there'd be a construction trailer. And in one case, for example, one of our first ones was a guy had 85 RVs and he's operating out of a construction trailer. So we knock on the door. Oh, yep. 85. He opens. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We have some out there with, that have hundreds. And uh, so the guy opens the construction trailer and, you know, he's a, uh, most of these guys that operate these businesses are uniquely either ex-firemen, firefighters, they're ex-police officers or ex-military service members. So this guy is a, Marine corporal, probably in his mid thirties, a guy named Denny. We sit down and talk with him, And he said, look, he goes, the entire business is uninsured and all these transactions are uninsured, but nobody cares because the average RV has never driven more than three hours from the key exchange. People like, say, for example, if you live in the Bay area and you want to tour Key West, Florida, right. maybe you drive up to Tahoe or you drive down to Monterey or you do something like that. Yeah. Yeah, if you wanted to, let's say you wanted to tour the Florida Keys, you'd probably fly to Miami with your family. Because, you know, I mean, you don't want to drive for four days across country. I mean, some people do in the pandemic, they are. But you'd fly to Florida, Miami. You would make arrangements with a local RV pro. You'd pick up your RV. They're going to tell you all about how to get to the Keys, which is the best campsite on which beach, because they're, they're, they're basically super local hosts. 
And then you rent there and you drive three hours and you're in the Keys and you put out your awning, your barbecue grill, your camping chairs, and that's where you set for seven or eight days. You might do your excursions into town, but that becomes your hotel right. park, parked at the side of an ocean. And so we realized, wait a minute, our hypothesis was, is that the RV, this thing that people do, these cross-country trips? And all the pros told us, they said, you've been watching too many movies. That's not what people do. In <laughs> they, they, they rent them locally, like in Bozeman, Montana, or West Yellowstone, and they drive them a few minutes down the road, and they park at a campsite, and they barbecue, and they fish, and they hike, and they mountain bike, and that's what they do for eight days. And so there's very little operation of the vehicle, which means that everybody says, while we know we're violating the insurance rules, nobody's going to get in trouble because nobody's getting hurt. We don't feel like we're taking that much risk, really, yeah. at the end of the day with these so they basically were going without insurance, it sounds like, ultimately. That's right. Is what they were doing That's at right. the time. Interesting. That's right. Well, let's let's yeah. get into that in, in just a moment. If you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connybeer. This is Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I am on Zoom right now with Jeff Cavins. He's the co-founder and CEO of Outdoorsy. So how did you solve this problem that you were talking about with no insurance is I'm sure it's something that you felt that you needed to address after you learned this from a lot of owners, even though it wasn't that important for them at the time. Yeah, that's a big, that's a great question. So along the way, we're doing a lot of research, which there's very scattered research on this space. It's a secretive society is what was happening. I, I interestingly, though, very emotionally connected, very social. Uh, but because of the insurance problem, nobody wanted to talk. And so I sat down with Jen and the founders. And I said, here's the deal. If we don't get insurance and we don't figure out how to invent an, an insurance product, which did not exist, we're not going to be able to build a legitimate marketplace. Um, and we'll have to do something else. So we, we worked on it for a year and I went, so I, I would go for Jen would drop me off at the airport in the Denali with the big Airstream. She dropped me off the airport and I would fly to, in most cases, always to New York and I would get in front of insurance executives and I pitched them all. I mean, Barry Carfunkel, the CEO of National General, uh, the CEO of uh, WR Berkeley, Zurich, um, Nautilus, Knight out of Los Angeles. I mean, I got to everybody and everybody turned me down. And so the problem was I was trying to exp I was trying to share with them, look, you have misclassified this asset class. In fact, it's the safest thing that you could put in a marketplace. No one gets hurt. There are no liability claims. People don't do bad Well, that sounds like a reasonable thing to say, but I suspect that you found another way to pitch it or something that managed to get you to break through. Right, and that everyone said, great, show us your data. And I said, well, the data is all anecdotal. It's all based on interviews. So the good news is I got to a, CE, a COO of a very large public, publicly traded insurance company I pitched him and it was, it was funny. This was my last pitch. I, we we're going to fold the business. I told the team, I said, I'm out of people to talk to. I can't, and I can't fund this thing any longer like this. So I get to this guy. I know it's my last pitch. I feel like I'm Sylvester Sloan selling the Rocky script. It's like the last person I talked to. I'm, I'm already expecting he's going to throw me out of his office. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, my wife and I, uh, we own a fifth wheel and we're real they're into the Penn state football games. And he said, a lot of our friends, sorry, these phone calls just keep coming in. Sorry, I keep having to click. No in. worries. Uh, Pandemic stuff. <laughs> he said, we are active RVers. And he said, I think what you might be saying is somewhat true because I don't think I've ever heard of anybody filing a liability claim. 
which is really what the insurance industry cares about. Yeah, but you found an insurance executive that had their own anecdotal experience. Exactly, exactly. So he said, you know what? Let me put my actuarial guys to work on this and let's see if what you're telling us is true because this could be an interesting uh, thing to underwrite uh, your, ins- your concept of an episodic insurance product. And I said, okay. So a month later, he calls me back and he goes, could you fly back to Jersey City? We want to meet with you. So I get on a plane, fly to Jersey City. And he said, everything you've advertised is true. In fact, we've done, the, we've done a study, actuarial study. And we find that in terms of loss runs, this is probably one of the lowest loss runs. This, is, this, this kind of falls in the line of like homeowner's insurance. You know, typically homeowners file claims when there's hail damage or house burns down or is flooded. And he goes, you're, you're in that category, which means this would be a very profitable venture for an insurance company. And he said, I'll underwrite the program. So we invented it on a whiteboard that day in his office. It's okay. Here's how well, that's fantastic. And, and, and one of the things that I've seen with startups over time is that if there's kind of a truth that a lot of people don't realize, if you push through it, then it can lead to a really big opportunity. And it sounds like to a certain extent in solving this is part of what unlocked the opportunity for you versus anybody else that might've tried to scale this type of business in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's those little things that happen. Sometimes you just get, um, you get lucky with a meeting and then it goes your way. And that was for us, many meetings that didn't go our way. Now, what this enabled us to now, do. I'm guessing was, other insurance companies have been knocking on your door now that they start to look at it and they're like, well, how did you manage to do this? And once they start to notice that it's a profitable opportunity, I would guess that gives you opportunities for other insurance carriers to work with if you wanted to. Yeah. The funny thing was, so we get going, we get up and running and we start getting these pros onto this insurance product. The problem was the insurance product was, uh, it was a V1 which was very much like an MVP and it wasn't enough because what happens is (laughs) what happens is let's say you own, you, you have a camper van and you list it on outdoorsy, our episodic insurance, which the original one was done with WR Berkeley. Then it eventually went to Zurich. Now it's backed by Liberty Mutual and Lloyd's of London. But um, you would put your vehicle on our site. If anything happened, we are the first payer. We would never file a claim against your insurance policy. So your personal insurance company would say it's State Farm. They don't care. But what happens when you start really making money? Well, we had a we have a guy on our site this year has made almost three million dollars on outdoors. We have a single mom in Oregon that's made one point six million this year. We have a thirty three year old kid that's made wow. one point three million. We have a twenty nine year old young lady in Sherman Oaks, California that's made eight hundred thousand this year. So they're getting. The guy I mentioned that made almost $3 million, he's got almost 160 units. He's out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, so what happens is they start getting more RVs, camper vans, travel trailers. Or some, they'll buy Range Rovers and put a custom tent on top. We'll do upfitted vans, uh, you know, the, the Dodge Promaster van that's been tricked out with a bathroom and a kitchen. So it's all this stuff. Well, what happens is your insurance company says, well, wait a minute. Now you've got three, four, and five. These aren't personal use anymore. You are commercializing. And so what they do is they drop you. So they drop your policy. Now that's a problem for people because most people have loans. And when your insurance gets dropped, the first person gets notified is your bank. So now your lien holder calls and says, um, it's part of your lien holder agreement. You have to have insurance in place and you've been dropped. So normally what they do, their default would be they'd put forced placed insurance on you. That real expensive high risk insurance that they throw on you. 
The problem is there's no forced place insurance company that has underwriting guidelines around this multiple unit owner of this asset class. So the bank now only has two other options, foreclose on your loans or call the loans. And usually that's what they do. They'll say, okay, you got to pay the 300,000. Yeah, neither of those are great if you're the one that (laughs) is owning the trailer. Yeah. So this, we found that by solving the first problem, which was episodic insurance, it enabled people during the episode of rentals to be covered. Um, And it encouraged that people make a lot of money on our site. So they start buying multiple units and then their, their primary insurance company finds out and drops them. And then they've got problems with their banks. So I sit down with the board and I said, you've heard the old adage that necessity is the mother of invention. I have got to figure out how to build an insurance product that solves this problem. So now I have to compete with Geico and State Farm. And I have to figure out how to build an insurance product that removes the commercial exclusion clause, which is embedded in these policies that are filed with every state. And so did you end up working with the same insurance company or did you go somewhere else? I had to go everywhere else. So um, I had hired advisors, some of the best insurance minds in the country. And they said, Jeff, there's no way you can get to all 50 states. Maybe you could get two or three states to flip for you, you know, North Dakota, Wyoming, but you got to get all 50 because these vehicles travel. They cross state, state lines, unlike Ubers and Lyfts. Like I wouldn't take an Uber from San Francisco to Florida, but I might do that in a, in a class A camper van or a class A uh, motor coach. So I said, okay, well, what do I do? How do I do this? And they said, there's only one company you can talk to. It's called Lloyd's of London. They're the only ones that have <laughs> the infamous Lloyd's of London. Willing yeah. to write anything. Just might be yeah. expensive. Oh, it's, yeah. But, you know, they insure Her Majesty's Navy. They insure battleships. When those twin towers came down in New York at 9-11, they were the underwriters. They were the reinsurance company on both those towers. So everyone thought GE was the insurance company. Uh, but I was at Lloyd's and Lloyd says, no, no, we, we had to call a board meeting, hundred board members come into the room and the chairman of the board says, we have to pull out our checkbooks and the number is going to be huge. And these towers and all those businesses came down and we, apparently Lloyd's has never failed to pay an insurance claim. That was a legitimate claim in the history of Lloyd's. These are the names that that people refer to when they talk about the names at Lloyd's, I guess that's what they're referring to, huh? Yeah. I've been in that boardroom. It's fascinating. It's like when a when a ship sinks or uh, a battleship or an aircraft carrier sinks, Lloyd's has to pull out the checkbook. And they because they are it is the most trusted paper on the planet. They're 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 bigger than the World Bank. So did you fly to London to do this or how did you actually get them involved and get them to build a product for you? Endlessly. I spent so much time in London over the last two years. Uh, and, and in Switzerland and Munich and other places where they have operations. But yeah, lots of time in London. Unfortunately for us, um, I had to spend a lot of time at Lloyd's. <clears throat> now, when you work with Lloyd's, it's a very different experience. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little further along in my career, which made it work for Lloyd's because Lloyd's has an in, innate distrust of Silicon Valley people. They think Silicon Valley people are operating recklessly and that they're going to put the Lloyd's uh, brand at risk, um, which to, by and large may be true. And so my, my approach with them was outdoors is all about trust and safety. We have a 200-point multivariant background check we do on every single user in the platform. We reject – most users are actually um, don't get through all the way through our systems. We only operate with the most – I, I call, them, call them super prime users, but not from a credit score, but from behavioral 
standpoint. So for example, our data systems will tell us if you've had an argument with an Uber driver or if you trashed your Airbnb apartment last week, because all that data is online and it's aggregated through uh, new sciences and machine learning technologies that we've deployed. So spending time with Lloyd's, which, you know, I've spent a lot of time going out with these guys, go to the pubs at night, go to the, the lunches that lasted for two and a half hours, realizing that what I was doing, I was, I was kind of somewhat becoming part of their community and getting to know them at a personal level. Like some of these guys, I know their, I know their wives' names and, you know, sent gift baskets for their children when their kids are born. So it's those kind of extended sales process. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a long time, but they came back and said, we love it. We love the program. We're going to underwrite basically an insure tech that we had to build inside of Outdoorsy. It's called Romely. And, and it's Romely is, we came up with the idea of, I went to Jen. I said, I need a name for an insure tech and I need it fast. I'm in London. And she goes, okay, well, we have assets that move. So we'll insure uh, assets that move. And we came up with the idea of Romley. And a lot of it was built on, she had to do a lot of work with her team to figure out can we own the, the French and the German and the Australian and the Japanese domains uh, for Rumley? So we came up with the name Rumley. We did it very quickly. We rolled it out. Since we introduced Rumley this year, uh, we will have close over $30 million in written premium in Rumley. So what Rumley does enables you to say, you know what? I don't need Geico anymore. I don't need State Farm. I'll buy Rumley. It's 25% cheaper than anything I can find in the marketplace. And it has removed the commercial exclusion clause from the policy, which means I can now build a fleet and operate with full legitimacy in a marketplace and Outdoorsy's Romley product reports to the banks. So we do what's called lien holder reporting, which tell the banks, this is an insured asset, it's covered, and it meets the terms of the policy language of the state that it's registered in. Therefore, uh, it's a legitimate product. Wow. Well, the interesting yeah. thing, and we're going to need to take a break in a moment. Sure. But the really interesting thing about this that you haven't mentioned is then you it sounds like you build an even closer relationship with the people that own the trailers, own the RVs, et cetera. So they're more locked into your your platform going forward so you can continue to grow with them. So so Jeff, thank you so much. We're going to take yeah. a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff. Cavens. He's the co-founder and CEO of Outdoorsy. I'm Rob Conyveer. This is Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. A business radio brief. I've got an idea to commercialize goat meat as a viable alternative for protein. It seems like you could get some early experience with some customers. The biggest markets are in St. Angelo, Texas, and New Holland, Pennsylvania. The vast majority of companies are financed with some seed capital from the founders or from small loans. Maybe that's this kind of business until you could prove an infusion of capital would let you scale it to be something much bigger. Business radio powered by the Wharton School. Their music. Their stories. This is Garth Brooks. Pop that beer right in the mic. And when it made the record, kind of laughed and giggled and goes, no, that's actually supposed to be in there. Their official channels. Sirius XM brings you closer to legendary artists like Pearl Jam, Garth Brooks, The Grateful Dead, and more. For a full list of all official artist channels, go to SiriusXM.com or listen anytime on your phone and Sirius XM connected devices and speakers. 